Big time. Oh, they don't have him yet. Look at Tommy Frazier. How many tackles can one man break? College Football History Buffs, welcome to the very first episode, episode one of the College Football History Podcast, where we, or I, talk about previous games uh, that I reminisce on, That games that I remember when I was a kid growing up and watching and having an impact, and games that I still think about today. And this week's game, because being at Thanksgiving, when I think about Thanksgiving weekend and college football, there's one game that really comes to my mind. And that's Texas A&M in Texas, a game that no longer is played after the Aggies had moved to the SEC. But uh, that was the game that I've always identified. It was the game I looked forward to the most um, during Thanksgiving weekend. And one of the <clears throat> probably the very first Texas A&M Texas game um, I remember watching because as a kid we didn't have cable TV at my house, um, and often the the A&M UT game was kind of cup played on ABC regional coverage. We may have gotten another game where I lived in Ohio. But uh, the first time I remember watching the Aggies and the Longhorns was in 1995 um, when we, we got the game up in Ohio. I think it was a nationally televised game. On, I think, And they used to play usually on a Friday, the Friday after Thanksgiving. And uh, this was historic because it was the very last game of the Southwest Conference. Um so the Southwest Conference uh, and the Big Eight had eventually would go on to merge into the Big Twelve Conference the following year, and the Southwest Conference had A and M, Texas, Texas Tech, SMU, Rice, Houston. I'm thinking I'm meeting some teams. Some of these teams weren't that good. I remember the they showed the rankings um, for that year. It was like Houston and Rice and SMU had like a combined like two wins or something. Um, so. Yeah, so so that was my first exposure to this rivalry. Um, the first thing you notice off the bat is that they're playing in Kyle Field, which is where the Aggies play today. But it's a it's a much different looking Kyle Field. Uh, at the time, I think Kyle Field seated about seventy thousand. Um, now it's over a hundred. I think they've done the expansion, so you had a lot of open. You had an open end zone, I think, with a big scoreboard. Um, I'm not sure if they still have that now, but they added all these decks to it these days also the field i mean they used to play in this artificial turf that was like a light green i wonder if that contributed to injuries and whatnot but they eventually got rid of it but that year a&m was a preseason top five team i remember them coming in with a lot of hype um that their star player was a preseason heisman trophy candidate uh, named leland mcelroy he was the third in the line of great aggie running backs from the early 90s following greg hill and rodney thomas um and uh, yeah, he 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 was a uh, you know an all-purpose back. He was kind of small, shifty, uh, great speed. Um, was 
you know, used in the return game as well. So the Aggies had a lot of high expectations going going into that year. Um, the year before, I think they had had an undefeated regular season. Um, not sure if they had, um, but I think due to some ties, I don't think they were in contention for the national championship. They may have, may have been on probation or something, but they had, you know, they were number three coming into the year. Um, they started off like 2-0 or 3-0, I want to say, and then I remember them, um, didn't see the game, but I remember seeing it um, on the highlights. They played Colorado at Colorado when Colorado was ranked in the top 10 as well. Back when Colorado was good, right? Um, and Colorado beat them 29-23 um, with, a, with their backup quarterback. So um, they ended up losing a, after that to Texas Tech. Tech had a guy named Zach Thomas, you know, great linebacker, played for the Dolphins. And I think the Aggies were trying to salvage their season. So um, they still had a chance to win that Southwest Conference outright if they beat Texas. And then they would position themselves for like what they call the old uh, – Tier one Alliance Bowl, so I think the the Fiesta Bowl, Orange Bowl, um, and the Sugar Bowl was, were part of the Alliance. Um, it, it it was kind of screwy back then. This was before the BCS. So um, if you're in the Big Ten or the Pac Ten, you automatically went to the Rose Bowl. So you often had situations where you didn't have the best teams in a country um, at the end of the year play each other for the national championship. So it was a, that, not, not to digress, but yeah, A&M still had a chance to salvage their season. Um, they were on a roll versus Texas. I think they had won 10 of 11 coming into that game. And at home, they were pretty much unbeatable. They had, I think, were undefeated in their 30, last 32 or 33. You know, remember, they had ties back then. They didn't go to overtime. Um, Texas had held the tiebreaker, so they had to beat Texas um, to get the um, – Southwest Conference automatic, I guess, Bull Alliance bid. So this game wasn't the the prettiest game to watch. Um, I remember, um, but th- there are some reasons I want to highlight it. Number one, it was my first exposure watching the A and M Texas game. Um, the first thing you you pick up on as a first time wa- watching the a- the Aggies, you know, I, and I had heard about them. I knew they were they had a good program, but seeing their the culture, the tradition. Uh, at Kyle Field, um, the twelfth man, that was something that was cool. I thought that um, you, you don't see that, and even tw- I'm, as I'm recording this, twenty five years later, I don't think there's another college football program that has the tradition where the students get involved like Texas A and M does. So I've always, even though I didn't go to school there, I've always kind of pulled for the Aggies as a result. Um, but yeah, so I was pulling from that for, for that day as well. Uh, you know. Um, so, you know, the game was kind of sloppy. Um, I, like I said, um, A&M moved the ball, I think, but what you notice is that they were just self-inflicting wounds all day, like bad penalties, false starts. They had six turnovers and they, they ended up losing the game 16 to six to Texas. So Texas ended up getting the, um, Southwest conference title, the last, very last Southwest conference title and ended up getting, I think, uh, Texas ended up going to the, uh, Fiesta Bowl that year, if I if I recall, I don't I don't recall, I don't remember. But some of the players for Texas, I just want to rat, rattle some names off. Um, James Brown was their quarterback, and he played with a gimpy ankle. I didn't remember James Brown back when I watched the game as much. He didn't, I didn't, you know, when I rewatched the game, um, it's on YouTube. You know, I I remember Brown mainly for his performance against Nebraska in the '96 Big Twelve Championship game, um, the inaugural Big Twelve Championship game. Um, but uh, 
the the players that I remember even back then when I was watching the game originally were uh, the two tailbacks for Texas. Um, Sean Mitchell, he wore number three, and then a guy by the name of Ricky Williams, who was a freshman back then, uh, and he wore number 11. And Ricky Williams ended up scoring both Texas touchdowns that day, had over 100 yards rushing. And they were talking about, like, during the telecast that he wasn't on scholarship because he was actually getting his scholarship paid for by the Phillies because he had signed a major league baseball contract. So, you know, everyone knows the impact Ricky Williams had went on to hold the career rushing uh, record for the NCAA until I think Ron Dane took it over from him um, and won the Heisman Trophy in 98. But, yeah, I think – that 95 game versus A&M was his first, like, coming, you know, coming out party. That's 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 what I recall. Um, and then they had a coach by the name of John Makovic. Um, and oh, he seemed like a decent coach. He um, That was his first time beating A&M. Um, and then the next year they won the Big 12 championship. They beat Nebraska. But this was Texas before Mac Brown. This is uh, – Mac Brown took him to the next level. I mean, he obviously got into the national championship, but Makovic was a good coach, but he, he, he seemed like he had a bad year in 97. I remember in 97, Cade McNown and UCLA go to Austin and they he beat Texas 66 to three and Texas ended up having a terrible year and they fired Mac, they fired uh, Makovic and brought in Mac, Mac Brown and Mac, Makovic ended up going on. I remember going on the coach at Arizona. I looked him up now. He's, um. I think he's coaching um, in Italy, which is interesting, in his late 70s. But, yeah, you know, remember him being kind of an aggressive play caller, um, you know, but, you know, really that, for the Texas point of view, was like James Brown um, had had a great game. Uh, No, he didn't have a great game. He he played an average game. He had a bum ankle, but he managed it. Ricky Williams had a great game uh, for them. And then they just, their defense just stifled A&M. I mean, A&M, on the flip side, um, Leland McElroy had 200 yards all purpose. I remember over about 120, uh, rushing plus another 80 or so out of the back receiving out of the backfield. Uh, A&M's quarterback was Corey Pollig. Um, anyone who followed college football back then should know that name. He was a, I recall a four year starter for, for Texas A&M. Um, but you know, I, when I watch, when I watched Brown and Pollock play, um, both quarterbacks, I was like, these guys, this is, this is another era of, of football. This is not like the kind of high octane spread offense you see today. I mean, they were in an I formation, maybe a tight end and two receivers, a split end and a flanker. Um, not a lot of, not a aggressive downfield passing game. Occasionally you'll go with a play action bomb, but, um, a lot of Corey Pollock, a lot of plays that called for Corey Pollock would be like a little rollout and then he would hit like a receiver on an eight, out, eight yard out or something. Um, Albert Connell was their top receiver that year. He's a junior college transfer. Um, but yeah, you know, Pollock, you know, he, he was a winner at AM, but he, he didn't have a good game. He, I remember even watching back then, he was like overthrowing players. Um, you know, he was responsible, I want to say, for about. Um, I think four of the six Texas A&M turnovers, um, I think three picks and a fumble, um, and they were in bad situations. I mean, sometimes, you know, A&M would get down into the red zone and they barely converted. I think out of three con- trips into the red zone um, and two inside like the five-yard line, they only got six points the entire game off two field goals. Um, 
McElroy uh, was their stud um, on offense. He, uh, again, like was a preseason Heisman candidate, but he had a bum ankle. I think he injured himself that year. He was a junior, and that kind of like derailed his Heisman campaign. But, you know, he played well in this game, and I think that was his, this was his last year at A&M. He ended up going pro, ended up uh, getting drafted by the Arizona Cardinals in the second round, and uh, his career never really panned out in the league. I think he you know, played a few games at tailback, was kind of used as a return guy, um, you know. And and so, again, the, the guy that I think remember, the, the name that stood out to me as far as a person who, um, um, you know, had a, had a long career from the Aggies' point of view was Ray Mickens. He was their cornerback, um, played in the league, played for the Jets. Um, wasn't never, never like an all-pro player, but always a consistent player, a guy you could probably rely on. Um, and the Aggies coach was, uh, of course, R.C. Slocum. Um, he was, uh, you know, a longtime guy at A&M. I, and I feel like he may have padded his record playing these bad Southwest Conference teams uh, going undefeated. I think, like, once the Aggies moved to the Big 12, like, reality set in. Um, he eventually got forced out, I think, in the early 2000s. Um, but, yeah, just the style of offense they played, man. It was just, like, it just seemed, like, so, like, in the Stone Age um, compared to what you see today. Um Contrary to the A and M teams you saw earlier this decade, the, the '95 Aggies and the, the Aggies of the '90s had a great defense. Uh, they were called the Wrecking Crew. Yeah, I remember you could even buy like the baseball cap with they would say Wrecking Crew on. You could find those hats in Ohio. And uh, their defensive coordinator is Phil Bennett. Um, if you guys remember Baylor, when Baylor was coming up under you know Art Briles in the earlier part of the decade. Before the scandals hit Baylor, he was their defensive coordinator. Phil Bennett was, so I mean, you know that that was that was the last hurrah for the Southwest Conference. That game introduced me to the Texas A and M Texas rivalry, um, a game that I hope they, um, you know, definitely get back to in the future. I know they're playing in different conferences now, but the Texas A and M Texas game is a is a great game for college football. Hope to have it back, um, and then yeah. Um, if you agree, disagree, um, definitely like, you know, leave a review if you like the show. If you like the show, um, you know, leave a review. Um, I'm not editing this. This is something again, like I said, in my pilot, something just for me to practice my monologue. Um, and it will, and we'll see where it goes. Till next time, this is Mahinda Podcaster signing off for the College Football History Podcast. <laughs>